Welcome back to another episode of Across the Pylon. I'm your host, Brandon Pockers, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Zach Maddock and Austin Kane. Boys, how are we doing on this fine Tuesday morning? We're good. Uh, preseason football. Going to get into the thick of it soon. I'm ready. Let's go. Can't wait. Very fun. Coming up Thursday is Steelers-Eagles, even though it means nothing. One of us will be taught in the other between me and Austin on Thursday night. And before we dive deep into our episode, just want to remind you guys, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at our name of the podcast, Across the Pylon. There, you'll be sure to find fun content and the links to find all our episodes when they are posted. So with that out of the way, let's dive deep deep into NFL preseason week one and what to expect. Obviously, if you're a big football fan, as I'm expecting you are, if you're listening to this podcast, you'll know that the NFL preseason isn't exactly all serious right off the bat. Most of it is preparation and giving guys lower on the depth chart, usually your third stringers, fourth stringers, sometimes even some second stringers, Time to develop and get a feel for live NFL game action. So when they reach the field in the regular season, the game comes a little bit easier to them. Obviously, it's not a one-to-one comparison, but it's very good to see guys in their first game action, their first live feeling of plays, getting the play calls, reading defenses, and for guys on defense, seeing the offense and it allows you to see the first glimpse of potential from a guy or the first signs that he may be a bust. And along those lines, one of my main observations that I'm going to be looking out for this weekend is how the rookie quarterbacks do in their first live game action. Now, like I said, it's not a one-to-one comparison, but I want to see how Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, all these guys react to NFL defenses that aren't their own guys, guys that are actually trying to come basically knock their heads off from the opposing defense or pick them off or make their life as hard as it could possibly be. It's going to give you the first glimpse of what these guys will do at the NFL level. It's not going to be what they will do because guys can develop. Guys can change their playing habits. As we saw with Josh Allen, he went from one of the worst quarterbacks in the league his rookie year to now being one of the highest paid and best quarterbacks in the league at the present time. So that's really my long-winded way of saying I really am looking to see how the quarterbacks react and respond to their first game action and how they respond to their first little bit of adversity. So I'm going to toss it to you, Maddox. What are you looking for this weekend with all the preseason games? Are you looking for a certain position group to stand out? Are you looking for maybe a certain player on a certain team to show a glimpse that maybe they haven't? I mean, what what exactly do you want to see? And then I love quarterbacks, the most important position. It is how your team runs. You can't get anywhere with a bad quarterback. You can stumble your way into the playoffs, but when push comes to shove, a bad quarterback will be the reason you lose a playoff game, no matter how good your defense is. I mean, we saw it for years with the Bears and Mitch Trubisky and, you know, how they went. But 
I'm very excited, honestly. One of the biggest ones I'm looking at is Mac Jones. I was very upset to see Mac Jones fall to the Patriots because I really think he could turn into a Tom Brady-esque quarterback with the IQ he has from Alabama and Nick Saban and what he can do there. And truthfully, what we've seen out of Cam Newton the last couple of years since his shoulder problems and his MVP campaign haven't been that great. And I think Mac Jones is capable enough of being a, um, a day one starter, but it's really going to show how he does in these couple preseason games. Just really show Bill what's up. Another one I'm really tempted to look into is Trey Lance, because I feel like Trey Lance is another almost Carson Wentz coming from a non uh, power five school. And he really has a lot to prove, but he did it very well at what he did, but he's a little different than Wentz. He's got a little more ability and speed. And Shanahan said, regardless of whether he's a starter or not, they've put in some plays for him. Kind of think back what San Francisco did a while back when Alex Smith was the quarterback. Or not, um, yeah, San Francisco, what Alex Smith was the quarterback and Colin Kaepernick at this point wasn't the starter yet and was doing some snaps to himself and direct plays, something like that. And I think Trey Lance might be used more as a gadget early, but depending on Jimmy G, how he plays and whether he struggles or not, really, we could see possibly a mid-season quarterback battle or maybe Trey Lance surprises some people in preseason and Jimmy G struggles. Yeah, I mean, those are two very, very good observations from the quarterback spectrum. I mean, Mac Jones, if he, I feel like if he has a strong preseason, he could easily overtake that job, especially with Cam's shoulder still being a very big concern, especially after the year he had last year. And with Trey Lance, I mean, I said on last week's episode, I, I really like him as a quarterback, and I think he could surprise a lot of people this year. That surprise includes overtaking Garoppolo as a starter way earlier than anyone expects because if Lance plays the way everyone from the 49ers are saying he's playing right now, Kyle Shanahan's going to have his hand forced. He's going to have to start Lance because – as good as Garoppolo can be, he does not have the talent and ceiling of a guy like Trey Lance. So tossing it over to you, Austin, I know me and Maddox have touched on the quarterbacks quite a bit so far, but is there anything else with that position that you're looking for? Or are you targeting another position to possibly stand out to you? Uh, I am going to also hop on the quarterback train here. There is one matchup that I am eyeing up this weekend. Uh, Saturday, the Dolphins play the Bears. I mean, let's be honest. How much did we really see out of Tua last year? I feel like he does have to play in this game and has to play throughout this preseason. I'm excited to see how much he's grown this offseason. Finally gets a full training camp, you know, last year, COVID and stuff, so. It's a normal season. Hopefully he uh, he got better this offseason, worked on some things. I'm excited to see the Dolphins, their rising team. Uh, Flores has done a great job with them. I'm excited to see Justin Fields on the other side. Uh, I'm an Ohio State fan, so I want one one quarterback from there to work out. I mean, we've seen them all fall. so But we'll see. Uh, I'm excited to see how much Justin Fields runs because we know this Bears offensive line isn't the best in the league. But I'm just excited to get into football season again, preseason. We're here. Let's go. Let's rock. I'm excited. Yeah, I think Fields versus Tua is going to be a very interesting matchup for as long as both those guys play. And 
especially with Tua, I think that if he takes even a marginal step forward, it'll be a win for Miami because if you remember correctly last year, he was literally pulled from games and come from behind situations for Ryan Fitzpatrick. And Fitzpatrick would usually lead the team down the field and keep Miami in the games. Well, guess what? Fitzpatrick is now in Washington. This is Tua's team through and through. And it's going to be very interesting to see how he really responds and reacts to adversity without having the chance to really get pulled off the field for somebody else. And before we move on to our next topic, I just, I, I have a few more things I wanted to touch on and really I'm gonna, then I'm going to throw it to you guys to really see how you feel about this. I think something that really is going to stand out to me is star players performing like star players in the short amount of time they have. Now, obviously most star players are going to have one, maybe two series on the field this weekend, but I want to see some flashes of dominance from most of these guys. I don't want to see struggles or potential for, you know, uh, a downturn in their abilities. Obviously if that happens, you keep an eye on it. You don't overreact. You don't immediately say, oh, this guy's going to fall off immediately. But you, you really want to keep an eye on those guys because if you see a little glimpse of a, a lack of ability or a, a little loss of speed or a slight drop in athleticism, it's something to keep an eye on for the entire entirety of the season. And then one more thing with the quarterbacks, I think it's going to be very interesting to see the beginning of the true quarterback battles this weekend. I mean, the the main one right now is Drew Locke versus Teddy Bridgewater in Denver, but there's also some reports that Fitzpatrick is in a competition with Taylor Heineke in Washington. So it's going to be really interesting to see how those guys compete against each other, who gains the upper leg this weekend. And Austin, like you said, I'm just very excited that football is fully back, that we're going to get legit game action to dissect and analyze this weekend. And it's going to be really fun. And before we move on to our next topic, Austin Maddox, is there anything else you want to touch on with those topics or anything else you're looking for? I think we're good. Um, the QB battles, it's magic kind to keep Bridgewater locked. We've been waiting for Locke for a little bit now to break out, so maybe this will be the year. And Heineke had a great great playoff run last year in that one game versus the Bucks. I mean, if he gets the job, we'll see if he can do it again. The two things I really want to bring up before we switch topics is I don't take preseason with that much because, I mean, there's obviously a reason why those games don't go on your actual record, and you just see it's more to fill out the back of your roster. Brandon, you brought up the stars really showing out when they're there. But in truth, some of these guys don't use preseason to really – they're already in football shape. They're looking to see if there's new things that they can try out to maybe get another edge on a cornerback or maybe read a defense a different way. So I don't always think you should take preseason with what is good because sometimes, for God's sake, you can have your starter go out there, throw two complete passes that you punt, and then he's done for the day. Like, I mean, what are you supposed to take from that? And then with the, Was with the Washington battle between Heineke and Fitzpatrick, I think it's an interesting one because you've got basically almost Fitzpatrick's entire time. 
Ryan Fitzpatrick shows up when your team has an unproven quarterback and you don't know what to do, and you have this like secondary option 1B where you know that he's going to get you this, he's going to do this for you, and if Heineke doesn't work out, you have Ryan Fitzpatrick right there to take the team over and probably get six or seven wins just on him being Fitzmagic himself. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see going forward. And football is back, baby. It's going to be very fun. And like I always say, make sure to keep it lock and load to the podcast because as the season goes on, with all the breaking news games and really crazy storylines that pop up, we're going to be dissecting all of it. So it's going to be a very exciting season for us going forward. And moving on to our next topic, we have... I mean, I want to call it a smorgasbord, but we have a we have a pretty big amount of small topics that we're going to discuss a little bit here on the pod. The first one we're going to dive into is cornerback CJ Henderson is apparently on the trade block and it's normal for trade discussions to pop up in camp. What is not normal is the fact that This guy was selected 10th overall in last year's draft. And there are rumblings that the new regime in Jacksonville is already gearing up to give up on him. So I want to hear what you guys think first. What is the deal with this? And why is Henderson all of a sudden going to potentially be moved? Yeah, it like you said, it's a weird situation for sure. A first round pick, an early first round pick. Um, I'm not sure if he's like upset at all with what's going on in Jacksonville. Who knows? But he wants out. They, I guess, they want to shop him. There's some teams that could use him. I'm being totally biased here, but I would love to see him in black and yellow, black and gold, whatever you want to call it. Uh, he would look great in a Steelers uniform. Maybe he'll land that. I mean, of course, there is no there is no such thing as having an overpopulation of good corners in the NFL. They're at a shortage at all times, especially with the new rules that just help the wide receiver. C.J. Anderson was a top 10 pick for a reason. I think that he has the potential to go somewhere, and I didn't think he did quite terribly in his first season, but I mean, he wasn't, he was on a defense that wasn't that good in Jacksonville. Then maybe Urban Meyer and his staff see something in Henderson. They don't like that. They would rather move for more pieces, or maybe they're trying to make this more of a rebuilding effort. And Urban Meyer wants what he has, not what he's already gotten. And that could be another thought into it. Like you see, you know, you draft a rookie quarterback a year, two years later, the head coach is out and the the coach will have a new quarterback than working what he's got. It could be something like that. Preferably, I would love to, like Austin said, I'd love to see him in Eagle. I think he has the ability to be a lockdown corner and be very good in this league, but we'll have to see what he's able to do, and we'll see if these talks take place, whether he's not at camp or he's ta- he's got his agent talking to other teams. and It'll be an interesting storyline to follow all the way up until week one or whatever he's dealt or benched or whatever happens. Yeah, I mean, with Henderson, it's very rare to see – a guy get given up on so early. And honestly, we don't know the full story of why Henderson is on the block. I mean, he's back at practice today, but he missed the previous few for 
personal reasons, personal matter. I mean, if this was year three or four, I, I feel like I would understand, but I, I feel like you you shouldn't give up on a talent like this so early. I mean, yeah, okay. Did he struggle last year? Yes, but he, he still has the potential to be one of the best young corners in, in the game. I mean, that's why he was drafted number 10 overall. He was viewed like that coming out of college. And I think it's just really interesting to see how some teams are so quick to pull the trigger on a guy like that. And then where there are other teams, like I'll bring up, for example, the Jets. Denzel Mims hasn't exactly had the best camp to start off. He's been running with the second and third teams. He was drafted in the second round last year. Whereas Jacksonville may potentially be looking to move Henderson, the Jets aren't looking to move Mims, according to most reporters. Why? They want to try to mold him and develop him for this scheme. If he ends up not fitting the scheme and performing well in that scheme, then the Jets will probably look to trade him, just using logic reasoning how football usually works in that regard. They're not immediately giving up on the player because he doesn't fit what they're doing. It's just very interesting to see how different teams in the NFL operate and how new regimes can have different views on certain players and their abilities. It's it's one of the things that makes the NFL very, very interesting. And moving on to our next quick hitting topic, there's another guy that is potential on the trade block, but for a very different reason than CJ Henderson. This guy's Michael Thomas. And Zach, I'm going to toss to you real quick. Why don't you explain to our audience why there is a lot of drama surrounding Michael Thomas? All right. So Michael Thomas has always been a character in football. He's been one of the best wide receivers in the past five years. Him and Drew Brees have had one of the best connections during Brees' tenure in New Orleans. But as of recently, Michael Thomas has dealt with some injury problems. And from the news breaking, apparently Michael Thomas had a surgery at a time the Saints didn't want him to have a surgery, which meant he wouldn't be ready in time for camp. And I don't know whether it's a ploy because contract, he wants a trade, he wants out. It really hasn't been discussed exactly what's going on, exactly with what Michael Thomas wants and why he had the surgery at a time where it's not beneficial for him or the Saints. And I think there's still a lot of moving pieces in what's exactly going on because no one knows exactly why Michael Thomas did this or why the Saints are so upset about it. And I think that obviously when any news breaks with a star player doing something that their front office didn't want them to do, the first thought is, does he want out? Does he want to be traded? Or are there deeper lying things behind it? And I think we don't know all those pieces yet. But I think there's still a lot to talk about with what what could possibly happen with a Michael Thomas trade, a Michael Thomas sit out, or just Michael Thomas starting, but with a new quarterback that isn't Drew Brees. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting situation, Austin. I mean, just hearing what Zach said, what's your first reaction to this news? It's it's just weird. And shocking, I guess. It seems like one of those things you didn't expect to happen. I mean, 
He missed a lot of time last year with that ankle injury, and he waited until after the season to get the surgery. I feel like he probably – I mean, I know he picked up a few games last year, but he probably should have gotten it towards the end of the season, probably not during the off season. And now he's kind of screwing the Saints. They're out. They're, I guess, second-best player. Depends where you rank him and Kamara. But either way, it hurts our offense a lot. And I saw – he posted something yesterday, or I don't even know what it was, but I saw uh, Sean Payton say he doesn't want to deal with the social media issues or he shouldn't have to be talking about them. And as a Steelers fan, I get that. The social media is a big part of the Steelers locker room. And it sucks. Yeah, I mean, this whole Michael Thomas thing is very interesting. And, and for me, looking at it, it, it really starts with the whole injury and – Surgery thing. We knew Thomas was injured most of last year. He barely played in any games. It was really a huge letdown for a lot of football fans and Saints fans in general. What is very confusing to me is why he would choose to get the surgery this late. I mean, yeah, he has, from what I've seen, he has an extension. He has proved to be one of the best receivers in the league when he is healthy. And he has proved to be a vital part of what New Orleans does. So I feel like there has to be something more to this story. It's like, why would he wait to do all this if there isn't something else going on? Is he doing it just to spite the Saints? Did the Saints do something to him last year that caused him to be very angry have the trade reports been underblown not overblown is there something way more going on that just everyone is missing and i think this leads into what thomas posted yesterday he posted essentially you guys don't want to hear my side of the story because i'm gonna blow it up and that's the that's the key to this what is thomas's side to the story because we've heard the Saints side. We've heard Sean Payton basically rip into Thomas for getting this surgery so late and being detrimental to the Saints. And kind of out of character, we have heard nothing from Michael Thomas. So is this a situation of the calm before the storm? Is it a situation where we're never going to really know the full story? Or are we going to hear the full story when Thomas gets healthy and Maybe he just never goes on the field. I mean, I feel like there's so much more to this story that isn't out yet. And this kind of leads into what I wanted to really dive into with Thomas. Where do you guys think the end of the story lies for Thomas here? Does it end with a trade? Does it end with him and the Saints uh, reconciling? I mean, what, what are you guys feeling in this regard? Um, I don't know exactly, but I just did a little quick look at Saints at his contract with Saints. And if I'm the Saints, I'm trying to get him out of the door immediately. Because if you guys remember about a year ago, the Saints were in a little bit of a cap problem and no one knew exactly how they were going to financially move that to get keep the best players and also still keep themselves competitive. And Michael Thomas signed a big extension, but most of that extension is backloaded and most of his big money doesn't kick in until next season. So now looking at that, I don't know why Thomas is being like this, knowing that 
he doesn't really make all that much money this year for what he's worth. But starting next season, he's one of the top paid wide receivers in football with this contract and his bonuses. If I'm the Saints, and now I have, a, I have a way to get rid of a player who doesn't want to be here and not have to take a huge cap hit, you see if you can trade him and you see what you can get back in return because it's Michael Thomas. I promise you, the Saints, you can't do worse than the DeAndre Hopkins trade. You physically cannot do worse. So I don't know the name of the GM of the Saints, but Sean Payton probably has some influence on who gets traded and where it goes, and they should be they should be. I'm not saying you're throwing concrete offers out there, but if GMs are calling, I'm 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 taking a listen. Yeah, it's very interesting to hear that a trade of one of the, one of the best receivers in the league is legitimately possible for this guy, Austin. Do you have the similar sentiment to Matic, or, or are you leaning in a different direction when it comes to Michael Thomas? Uh, I, I really think it could go either way. Like you said, we don't know why he did this. Like It seems like it's only going to hurt him, I guess, unless he wants to go. Because if he asks for a trade, maybe you do see him go sooner rather than later. But I guess that depends on when he's coming back. I, what was it, like the first few weeks he's going to be out? So we'll see. I would like – I kind of like Michael Thomas on the Saints. I wouldn't mind if he stayed there. It's all right. Um, but they could, yeah, they could, like Maddox said, they could definitely move him and get some valuable pieces or some draft draft stock, whatever. Just if they move him, they're going to get something good in return. Yeah, it's just a very, very weird situation. I think it does end with a Michael Thomas trade. I mean, there's no Drew Brees superstar quarterback to – keep Thomas in line and really sustain this production. I mean, we can talk about the potential and talent of Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston, but they are not proven Hall of Fame quarterbacks like a guy like Breeze was. And we don't know how much regression the Saints are actually going to have on offense. So I think it's be- honestly, it's best for both parties to really part ways and for the Saints to really start molding their offense to the quarterbacks that they have and the personnel that they do have and not try to really one eat the massive contract of Thomas because like Zach said the real money really kicks in after this season and two it's just going to be detrimental to the entire locker room if you have a disgruntled superstar wide receiver but moving on to our Last two topics of the day. Darren Waller has been out for five days. I mean, not ideal if you're the Las Vegas Raiders as Waller is one of the top tight ends in the league. But I'm going to toss to you guys. Is this something we should be concerned about? I, I know John Gruden said the other day that Waller's absence is really more precautionary than a cause for concern. But Whenever a guy misses a bulk of practices in a row, it's never really a good sign. So I really want to hear your guys' thoughts on this. Yeah. Um, I guess as a Raiders fan, you're definitely a little concerned, like you said. Your best player is missing multiple practices in a row. It's not good. But from what I'm reading from beat writers out there, 
Uh, they say that here he's going to be back soon. He is working with the trainers out there. So I don't think it's anything to be too concerned with. I think as time goes on within the next week or so, he'll be back on the field and getting ready for week one. Yeah, I kind of agree with Austin saying there, just from what I've read and seen. Gruden didn't seem very um, disturbed about what was going on with Waller. He wouldn't confirm whether the absence was an injury concern, which always worries me a little bit. But they said – some of the beat writers said they noticed a, a little bit of a limp about a week and a half ago, and that's why he hasn't practiced since. But besides that, no one seems too concerned in the Raiders organization. And I feel like if there was something more to it, someone would know about it and would have said something. I mean, it's probably just one of those knocks that's probably just keeping you out of the sidelines for about a week and a half or something. And, I mean, Darren Waller has the potential to be a top-two fantasy tight end with uh, – or top-two tight end in the league next to Travis Kelsey. And there's a very good chance that if he's healthy to start week one, there's going to be a lot of people looking for him, especially as Raiders fans, to make a big impact throughout the season like he did last year. I think he's going to be fine. I don't really see this becoming a problem. But, as of course, we'll follow the story and see where it takes us. Said perfectly. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think the Waller injury should be a massive concern, but as always, we'll keep tabs on it and keep you guys updated. And the last story of our show for today, the New York Giants have had three, not one, not two, but three retirements from their offensive line in the past week. This is stemming from, or we are thinking it's stemming from, according to the beat reporters that covered the team, that after the incident that happened where Daniel Jones ended up on the bottom of a pile for the Giants and Joe Judge made the team run laps and do push-ups like they were a high school team, which that is yet to be seen if... Uh, that's going to be a good way to coach a football team in the NFL. Three guys are now no longer part of the team, kind of sabotaging the New York Giants offensive line depth. So, Austin, I'm going to kick it to you first. What do you make of this? And does this spell bad news for the Giants this year, or are we overblowing this entire situation? Well, you take away two of your offensive linemen. That's just never a good thing in general. And when you're going into the season with your superstar running back, who's been banged up last year and is already banged up going into this season and may miss the first few weeks, this is not good at all. Giants fans, you don't want to hear this, but it's the truth that it's just not looking good. And then you have uh, Todd Davis also retired within the same week. I'm just not sure what to make of this at all. It's weird. I mean, is it because of those sprints they had to do? I mean, this is the NFL, boys. I mean, maybe they're – they just don't want to do it anymore. But you can't – I don't know if you can say Joe Judge making them do sprints up and down the field made them retire, but I guess it could have. I don't like running either, so. Who knows? Yeah, so 
I think Judge, uh, Judge had to downplay it a little bit and say there was some family issues with this on why the players decided to retire in the linemen. But, I mean, these guys aren't young rookies. These guys are seasoned veterans that haven't had the most impressive NFL careers. Most of them have been either backups or uh, spot-in starters with these two linemen. And then Todd Davis, obviously, is a little bit different. But with these two linemen, I mean – these guys were 29, 30 years old playing the league for eight, nine years. And I mean, it's not like it's a disrespect to them because they're a part of the team, but sometimes you just, you're bot, they're not built to run sprints like that. And they're just not used to doing things like they were back in high school. And at a point, a player might just be like, you know what? I don't want to do this. My body doesn't need me doing this. It's not what I'd be doing as a job on the football field running length of the field sprints like I'm 17 again. And I understand the retirement. I understand why Judge made them run. But, I mean, you've also seen other places where there was a fight in uh, in the Lions and Dan Campbell basically said, I, I love it. He was just happy to see two young players going at it. And I think – I love he, that. Dan I think that's was, fantastic. He was fired up. I, I love that. Like, I mean, you're just looking at the – you're looking at the two polar opposites. You have Joe Judge, who obviously is a Patriots guy, and um, he's been under – he was under Belichick, and obviously he's probably used to things being much more structured because I couldn't imagine players trying to really fight under Patriots because I think they'd all be very afraid of what Bill would do to them behind the scenes. But I think Dan Campbell's a little more laid back. He came from the Saints, and he also worked for the Dolphins, where I feel like the structures or practices haven't been as forceful and, like, pressured. And I think he's just one of those guys that he sees his training camp. Everyone's careers are on the, not on the line, but a lot of these guys that are on the back end, they're fighting for their jobs, their lives, their money. Like, things get chippy a little bit, and sometimes, you know, just you let it run out and see what happens. And I think – judge kind of overreacting to something that I think we see at most camps or half the camps. I mean, we've seen thousands of clips of players fighting in training camps throughout the years. And I think obviously this one was a little bigger and ended with your franchise quarterback ending up at the bottom of a pile, which you never want to see. But I think it's just training camp stuff like that happens. It's just, I don't see full field sprints as the right uh, punishment for that happening. Yeah, I think it remains to be seen if this style of coaching is really applicable to the NFL. And when I say that, I mean the wind sprints and the push-ups just continuously until the coach feels like stopping them. As someone that played high school sports and a little bit of college sports, this is something where I feel like it's more acceptable to do when the guys aren't being paid millions of dollars to do their jobs. And it's more acceptable to do when you're not dealing with professionals that have been sometimes playing in the league for over a decade. It's just, it's a very different way of approaching an NFL team. And I think if the Giants win this year, no one's going to really talk about it. It's not really going to be an issue. It's going to be like, oh, Joe Judge has righted the ship. The Giants are back on track. And honestly, this entire training camp fiasco will be a moot point. If the Giants lose this year, though, 
a lot of people are going to come back to this point and look at it and say, this is where Joe Judge started to lose the team. This is, this is where everything started to go downhill. It's a matter of perspective and how things happen. And I feel like this is something we are 100% going to have to revisit based on how the Giants do this year. Because, you know, we, we've all seen it happen. We have watched and listened and just been around enough NFL football to understand how the narrative is shaped, how the media can shape the narrative based on what is happening, and especially how players react based on what is happening. A lot of players will take the side of the three guys that retired if the Giants are losing a lot. And Judge will lose the locker room a lot faster than I think people think he will. If the Giants win and get off to a hot start, it's not going to matter. So it's going to be very interesting to see over the course of the year what goes on with the New York football giant. And on that note, we are at the end of episode two of Across the Pylon. Thank you guys for joining us for another great week of discussing football and going over the week's best topics. Make sure to keep it locked and loaded to the pod and follow us on our social media accounts. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And you can fo- you can listen to the podcast wherever you can find podcasts. What does that mean? Well, we are on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you can listen to a podcast, we are there. So before we get out of here, Austin, Zach, is there anything else you guys want to say? I have one question for the listeners. If you made it this far, you put them in a ring, they're boxing two new head coaches, Dan Campbell, Robert Sala, who's winning. Let us know before our next episode. Uh, thanks for listening. Peace. Zach, you got anything else? Austin, that's a fantastic question. I'm going to leave it up to the listeners to decide, and maybe we'll discuss that if we get some good answers. I think as we've t- uh, covered some great topics, hopefully we've left you guys a lot to think about. Obviously, our DMs are always open. If you have questions or things you think you'd like us to talk about or you'd like to hear us think, we'll definitely take a look at it, and please let us know what you think, and have a good, have a good day. Well, you heard my co-host. Thank you for joining us on another great episode. Give us that question, the answer to that question, at least, in the comments, and we'll catch you next time.